0: Well, hey, we're going to get into a Bible study this morning in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. It'll be a lot more enjoyable if uh, you can follow along with us. We'd be happy to drop one in your lap. 1 John chapter 2, or beginning in verse 18. If you're new with us this morning or if you need a little re- recap, I'll give you an understanding of what we've been doing. The title of our series is called The DNA of a Relationship with Jesus. The DNA of a relationship with Jesus, looking at the importance of abiding in Christ, not simply just knowing about him, not just showing up to church on Sunday, but going about your week untransformed, but actually having an abiding relationship with Jesus. And in the first week, we talked about this transmission of joy. John was so excited to share the good news that God in the flesh left heaven and came to earth to rescue us. Uh, yesterday, I had the opportunity to go to SeaWorld with my kids. And it's SeaWorld, all right? It's not Disneyland. It's SeaWorld. And you go to shows there, and the dolphins are cool, and the whales are cool, and the sea lion, that Clyde the Seymour show is super funny, and they got the tiny little otter, which is really... How many of you guys have been to that one? It's super sweet. And then the kids wanted to go to this like, electric show, and I'm like, oh, electric show at SeaWorld. How cool could it be? They bring out 12 people dressed in all black, and they've got trash cans with neon stuff on it. They attach these tether balls. How many of you remember tether balls growing up? Tether balls to their hands, and they're drumming with tether balls and drumsticks at the same time. And for a rhythmically challenged person, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And as I'm watching them, here's what I noticed above everything, above their talent and their skill, was they were enjoying wholeheartedly what they were doing. And what hit me as I was sitting there at SeaWorld was like, that's what I want for my relationship with Jesus. That even if it looks like to the rest of the world, there's a tetherball strapped to my hand that I'm doing this, that I'm full of joy with what God has called me to do. And that's what John communicates in those first four verses Last week, we talked about how do we know that we know Jesus? And we talked about four things. The first one is confessing his initiating love for us. Confessing that we are sinners and we need a savior. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and gave us salvation, not because of anything we've done, but because of his grace for us. Secondly, we know Jesus by responding in loving obedience to his word. Not begrudgingly, not because we have to, not because if we don't, God's going to dock his holy points, but a desire and a willingness to follow his word because we know how much he loves us. Therefore, we trust him to follow in his footsteps. Third, we talked about how we love one another. John says, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another and how important that is to us. In how we know that we know Jesus by the way we interact with our spouse, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, loving one another. And then finally, we talked about openly following Jesus, not having a closet or private Christianity, but outwardly, not necessarily on street corners yelling at people. It's probably not a good way to go about ministering to others, but instead openly sharing the good news by the way we interact. When opportunities arise, actually sharing the gospel. Those t-shirts are a silly but prime example. Well, what is that shirt from? Well, let me tell you what it's from. And having the opportunity to share the good news. This week, we're going to be looking at the Father's love and how our relationship with Jesus is rooted in the Father's love for us. And my encouragement for you today is maybe you're like, I've heard a thousand sermons on the Father's love. Good. Here's a thousand and one, and if it's rooted in God's word, you won't be disappointed. Today, we're going to look at how John warns the church about the things that are going on in our world and how we can be secure in Christ's love for us. So let's pray together, and then we'll get into our study. Lord, we are thankful for this opportunity that we have to open up your word. Lord, we are literally opening up the truth given to us, From heaven. The knowledge, the wisdom, the discernment, the understanding of you, God. So, Lord, give us humble hearts to receive. Lord, I know that I am a sinful man trying to teach a perfect word, and that cannot be done outside of an abiding relationship with you. So, Lord, would you speak through me today for your glory so that we can grow to become more and more like Jesus? God, we give you our time. We thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, we'll start one verse from where we ended last week. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Verse 18, little children, it is the last hour. We ended our message last week on the world is passing away. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all of those things are going away. Therefore, invest in your eternal stock options, not in the things of this world, but in the relationships, in the character in Jesus Christ, who has called us to be his own. Uh, My kids are still at that age where when I come home, their faces are still in the window waiting so sweet. Sad that that's going to go away someday. Maybe not. Maybe <laughs> I'll be that dad with the 40-year-old in the window like that. Ah! <laughs> be like having Will Ferrell as a kid, right? <laughs> I love that. I love showing up and looking as I pull into the driveway. There's the living room window and Gracelyn and Levi's faces are just pressed against it. And they come out of the house, they rip open the door, and they're knocking on my window. I'm still on a church call, and they're like, Dad! And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. And I get into the house, and it's not every day, but sometimes there's this chant that goes on, like, Daddy, Daddy. My neighbors must be like, that guy has manipulated his children completely. And here's what I love about that is they're not trying to earn my love. Why are they doing that? Because they're already loved. They do it because they know that I love them. That's their loving response to me. And oh, it blesses my heart. They're waiting with anticipation. They're so excited for me to come home. And look at what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. He says, little children, remember this is a term of endearment. John is an older man as he's writing this. He's writing it to the church whom he loves. Little children, it is the last hour. Are we waiting with anticipation for the return of Christ Jesus? Are we waiting in anticipation for the return of Christ Jesus? And it's interesting to me because John writes 2,000 years ago to the church, it is the last hour. Did John get it wrong? (laughs) You all are afraid to answer. (laughs) Did he get it wrong? Absolutely not. He got it right. He lived in the expectation that Christ could return at any moment, which he absolutely can And that same sense of urgency, that same expectancy, is what we're called to. Just like those kids in the window when I get home. Are we waiting for Jesus? Is that what we long for? Is that what we're pursuing? And John says, it is the last hour. I won't go into great detail here. But church family, let me remind you, there are no prophecies left to be fulfilled Christ could return at any moment. That's amazing. We should get excited about that. And we're going to talk more in depth of what that actually looks like as we abide in a relationship with Jesus. But John continues. He says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, church, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Now, John is teaching something profound and he's teaching two different things. How many of you are familiar with the term antichrist? Uh, When you think of antichrist, what comes to mind? Satan, what else? (laughs) Bill Gates. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep it a little higher level than that. Uh, What else? Hitler, prophecies, revelation, all of those different things, right? John is talking about two separate things, but in the same vein. First, he says, for you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And then he also says, and many Antichrists have already come. So we're going to unpack those one by one. I'm not going to go into great detail about the Antichrist. Uh, Pastor Dave led a series verse by verse through every chapter of revelation which you can go listen to on our podcast or online which i would encourage you to do it's phenomenal a lot of bible teachers go well you can't really understand revelation that is not true go and listen verse by verse it is incredible how the old testament and new testament collide to make complete sense of revelation uh, specifically In the Antichrist, Revelation 12 and 13, those would be the chapters if you want to learn more. But here's just a little bit about what we know from God's word in regards to the Antichrist. Number one, he is a man who is inhabited by Satan. Satan gives him all his power, all his authority, and all his rulership. And it's good to remember that when Jesus was taken out into the wilderness... One of the temptations of Satan is, I will give you all the kingdoms of what? Of the world, of the earth. Satan has that temporary power, right? Um, This man will not come with horns and a pitchfork. People won't be going, oh, he's so evil. The world will be deceived as a whole. He will be charming. He will be popular beyond belief. He will rise to power like no one has ever risen to power before. So much deception will come when the Antichrist rises into this powerful position that people will actually worship him. John is saying, you have heard that the Antichrist, the one that the book of Revelation talks about, is coming. Meaning, he has not come yet. But then John says, in the second part of this verse, look at verse 18. Even now, many antichrists have come. Well, what do you mean, many antichrists have come? I thought maybe there was just one antichrist. Here's what antichrist means, and this may help simplify things for you. Antichrist means instead of Jesus. Instead of Jesus. When the antichrist, capital A, comes... He will set himself up instead of Jesus. He will give a gospel message instead of Jesus. And yet John says, hey, many antichrists have already come. They've already come into the world. And here's what's good to know. These antichrists don't not talk about Jesus. They don't not say his name. They speak his name. They do worship. They look nice. They sound good. They use Bible terms. They have even the appearance of morality. But it is an instead of Jesus' message. And here's one of the biggest differences that you can hold on to. If you're taking notes, write this down. The Antichrist will never talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ and his authority over your life. The Antichrist will never talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ over your life, and here's why. Because the Antichrist wants to trick you into glorifying who? Yourself. Yourself. That is the deceptive message of the Antichrist. Antichrist propaganda is everywhere. It's on TV, it's on radio, it's in advertisements, podcasts, politicians, the corporate world, life coaches, sports teams, movies, and it's even where, church? Oh, it's also in the church. Just because the name of Jesus is used doesn't make it the gospel message. How do we discern such things? How will we know if we're being fooled or deceived? Can you discern the difference? Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this in verse 23. Let's read it loud in one voice together. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive Even, if possible, the elect. Wow. Who does the Antichrist message want to deceive? Even the elect of God. Even those who sit in the church pews. Even those who walk with Jesus. This is why a relationship with Christ and his word is so important. To understand those deceptive messages. Look at verse 19. John says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest or revealed that none of them were of us. This is interesting language from John. John is saying that some of these antichrists, some of this instead of Jesus propaganda has come from where? People who used to fellowship in the church. Leaders who used to preach. Musicians who used to play worship. Moms and dads who used to bring their families to church. And John says they have gone out from us because they are not of us. If they were of us, they would have continued in the fellowship, which they have not. Can we discern the difference Of what this antichrist propaganda is. If you're taking notes this morning. I'd love for you to write this down. We can only identify antichrist propaganda. By abiding in Jesus's word. We can only identify antichrist propaganda. By abiding in Jesus's word. Here's why it's called the DNA of a relationship with Jesus. Because if we don't have a relationship with Christ. We won't be able to discern the difference between what is true and what is false. And John says this in verse 20. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Uh, An interesting statement from John. He says that we are able to discern the deceptive lies of Antichrist propaganda from the truth because we have the anointing of who? Of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where I want to lead you. When John says the anointing of the Holy One or the Holy Spirit, here is the role of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit never glorifies himself, ever. The Spirit always glorifies who? Jesus. Therefore, we abide in a relationship with Jesus by abiding in his word. The anointing of the spirit always points us where back to Jesus's word, back to the scriptures. And that is so important for us to hold on to, because otherwise we start to get into these strange realms of, well, am I really spirit filled? And I do. Do I do these giftings and do I do these giftings? Here's the problem with that. Does the spirit ever glorify the individual who has certain giftings? Never. And if you see it practiced in a church, go somewhere else. Church family, let me encourage you. The spirit of God is here for the purpose of pointing us back into relationship with Jesus Christ. So that when John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One or the Holy Spirit and you know all things. Here's what I love. How many of you know all things? Good. First service had a few people. I was like, oh, come on. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Just kidding. First service. If you're watching second service. Um, Of course, we don't know all things, but who does know all things? Oh, God, the Holy Spirit knows all things. And the Holy Spirit points us back to where Jesus word. How many of you have the word of God? One person raised their hand. (laughs) How many of you have the word of God? For goodness sakes. Yes, we all do. Therefore, we what? We know all things. Not not experientially, but intuitively through God's word. We now have the discernment that is needed to understand the difference between the deceptive lies of antichrist propaganda. That instead of Jesus' message versus what is true. We are all equipped with what God needs to give us. Is this interesting to anybody? Wonderful. Verse 21. Here we go. John says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. Church, do you know the truth? Because you have what? You have God's word. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. No lie is of the truth. John uses this Greek word for lie. Uh, the word is pseudo. If you have a pseudo something, you have a what? You have a fake. You have something that's false, but it's trying to be passed off as what? The real deal. Church family, don't miss this. John is not simply here to go, hey, don't lie. That's bad. That, that's about as surface level as you can get. Is that true? Yes. Does everyone already know that? Yes. That's not what John's talking about. And this is not just a simple, simple principle of morality. He's talking about the deep lies that lay within the world systems, government systems, social systems, religious systems. And this, this is the anti-Christ propaganda that John is warning us against. Think about this. In our current world, when we talk about marriage as Christians, who is the inventor of marriage? Not a hard question to answer, but it is a hard one to live by, isn't it? Because the world has begun to deceive and to twist and to attempt to change a divine ordinance in marriage, which God made, and to try to redefine it into whatever the world says that it should be. You can marry anybody you want to. Guys with guys, girls with girls, three, four, a turtle, doesn't matter. There's something wrong. That's a deceptive message. And the message that goes along with that is, well, wait a minute, love is love. I mean, if somebody loves somebody, they should just be free to love them. No, love has a standard. Love has a root. It's in Christ's sacrifice. It's in the fact that we deserve the wrath of God and he laid down his life for us. This is what love looks like so that when a man marries a woman and God through Paul says, men, lay your lives down for your wife. It's not some nebulous love, not some 50-50 agreement, not just something that, hey, as long as you do what I want, I love you. And as long as you do it, that's not how it works. No matter what, husbands, you lay your life down for your wife because it's been modeled for you in Christ. The world wants to change that. And if it can get rid of love at its standard and at its core in marriage, it's effectively eliminating what? Oh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we have an instead of Jesus gospel. And it's crept into the church. There are churches who receive this wholeheartedly. We love everyone. Everyone is welcome here to do whatever they want. That's not love. That's antichrist propaganda. Think about the war on gender and sex right now. You can be fluid. You can change any way you want to. We've got kindergartners needing to choose between 16 different genders. It's insane. Don't think for one second that this is just about gender. If you can eliminate male and female, Genesis chapter 2, made in the image of God, what is the Antichrist trying to do? Eliminate the gospel, the truth of God's word, so that it can redefine according to its own standard of right and wrong, which is everything's right for everybody. Uh, This week in the news, I don't know how many of you saw it, but uh, the Palestinian president or authority, Abbas, went to Germany And while he was in Germany, he was asked about the 1972 massacre by Palestinian terrorists on the entire Jewish Olympic squad. How many of you remember this? It was awful. It was a nightmare. And someone asked the president, hey, would you issue or be interested in issuing an apology to the Jewish nation? And here was the response of Abbas. I know of 50 holocausts that the Jews have committed against the Palestinians. You know what that is? That's a false narrative, a false truth that is educating literally the entire Middle East. Iran doesn't even recognize the holocaust and says that it never what? It never even happened. Six million Jews massacred and they teach their children that it's a lie. And this is what our culture does. Could be in the areas of modesty. It Could be in the areas of, uh, as Pastor Dave talked about, spiritual, healthy, male, godly leadership. It could be about the role of a woman. All of those things our culture is trying to infect. And it's anti-Christ propaganda. The only way that we can recognize it or identify it is by abiding in Jesus' words. Are you guys with me? Verse 22, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist who denies the father and the son. John's getting pretty serious here, isn't he? Who is antichrist? Not the antichrist who's coming. We know that that is reserved for one person in which Satan will inhabit, But there are many antichrists who have come, and anyone who gives an instead-of-Jesus message is considered what? Antichrist. Now, is that shocking when you break down the word? No. Is it shocking in terms of maybe where we've been in our own life before? It is for me. I know this. I lived by a health and wellness gospel for much of my life. Wanting football to be my everything, worshiping it at every corner and every turn. Or when we consider the prosperity gospel. Yeah, we know that it's not true, but it does sound really good, right? I mean, if you give this much, you're going to get back a hundredfold. How many of you would invest in that kind of monetary strategy? Uh, me and Luke. Cool. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> of course we would. Or think about, hey, if you just do these things, you can be saved. I mean, you can really secure your salvation if you just make sure you go to this church. And here's why that's so dangerous. If you need to come and listen to a man in order to be saved, we're in trouble. That applies to the Dalai Lama. That applies to the Pope. That applies to me and Pastor Dave. You do not need to come to church to hear from a man in order to be saved because you already have what, church? You already have the spirit that points you back where? To God's word. You have what you need. Verse 22 says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is so important to understand. It would be easy If you were just to walk up to somebody and go, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And they go, no, absolutely not. You're like, well, that's what John's talking about. But it's not that simple. The same language is used. The name Jesus is used. Worship music is used. So how do we discern? What does this look like? When we consider... The Mormon missionaries who come to our door. How many of you have ever had a Mormon missionary come to your door? They are some of the nicest people. Um, please don't hide from them when they show up. Some of you, I already know, you like go in the back room and pretend like you're not there until they go away. <laughs> go answer the door. Show kindness to them. But know this. They come with an antichrist message. An instead of Jesus message message. But here's what you hear at the door. We believe in Jesus. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And we're kind of sitting there. And if you've ever been in that position, well, maybe not you here at the Mission Church, but other people, if you've ever been in that position, you start going, yeah, we are, we're on the same team. No, we are not. And here's how you can know. You can say, hey, thank you so much for being willing to come to my door. And I'm so glad you did because I want to speak truth into your life. Do you believe in the triune God that Jesus Christ himself is God? And every Mormon will have to say what? No. No different with your Jehovah Witness friends. Again, be kind to them. I believe they're sincere. I believe they're genuine as they come to the door, but say, Hey, I would like to speak truth into your life. Do you believe in the triune God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? And they have to say what? No, because they don't believe that. They believe in a different Jesus, an instead of Jesus' message. And no matter how nice they are, it's still Antichrist propaganda but because we have an understanding of what love is at least we can reach out to them and give them the truth whether they receive it or not is not up to you islam believes that jesus was perfect that blew me away when i learned that they believe that he lived a sinless life that's taught but they don't believe that he died and resurrected They believe his body was switched, and they don't believe that a a prophet of Allah could possibly go through such shame. For Jews, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you see how these are all instead of Jesus' gospels? And yet all of them use the name what? Jesus. Jesus. We must be in an abiding relationship with Jesus being pointed to his word so that we are constantly fed truth. Um, how many of you in some form or fashion look at the news or social media on a daily basis? Look around. Keep your hands up if you do. Look around. There's a <laughs> some of you are like, this is the part where he tells us something bad about ourselves. <laughs> In my opinion, I think it's good to be informed. I know that everybody has different sensitivities, so it might not be best for you to be doing that. But here's why I say that. We receive those things on a daily basis, and there's enough antichrist propaganda in all of that mess. Amen? Amen? If we are not receiving the truth of God's word at the same level, we are in danger not just of buying into lies, but not recognizing what the truth looks like if we're not in God's word altogether. Does that make sense? It's why an abiding relationship with Jesus is so important because God's spirit directs us to the word of God so that we can know all things. I'm not talking about future events of who's going to win the world series or who you're going to end up with as a spouse. I'm talking about what we need to know the difference between truth and lies. This is what John is teaching us. Jesus makes it plain and clear. John fourteen six. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, finish it off, church. Comes to the Father except through me. If you know the Son, you know who? The Father. And the only way you can know the Father is if what? You know the Son. If God was not perfectly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, we worship a different God. We've all heard that term, all roads lead to God. You call him Allah, we call him Jesus, you call him Krishna or Buddha or the rock in my living room or whatever it is. But here's the problem. All roads don't lead to God. The only one who does is through Jesus Christ according to the gospel, that he rose from the dead, that he died for our sins and that he is from the father. That's why John says, who is a liar but he who denies Jesus is the Christ that denial is not someone saying I don't believe in Jesus, that denial is saying I don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible, of the Holy Scriptures both Old and New Testament he is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, he who acknowledges, this word in the Greek means to wear, to put on, to clothe he who clothes himself with the son has the father also. How do we put on Jesus? The only way we can put on Jesus is by having his character through a relationship with him. Through confessing that we are sinners and he is the only savior. By him moving and taking residence into our life. You still with me church? Church? Here we go, verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and the Father. Um, We're going to make this not complicated at all. Here's what I love that John is saying. When he says the beginning, he's not necessarily referring back to Genesis chapter 1 like in the beginning. What he is referring to is the gospel that the apostles preached from the beginning of their ministry when they were commissioned in Matthew 28 to go into all the nations and make what? Disciples. And importantly, disciples of who? Disciples of Jesus Christ. Not of Peter. Not of Paul. Not of J.C., Apostles, or excuse me, disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. Therefore, John simply says, abide in what you have heard from the beginning. Don't go somewhere else. Don't believe another gospel. Um, If you remember the apostle Paul is ministering to the church in the city of Galatia and the Galatians had received the gospel, but there were some deceivers, people called Judaizers who came in and they started telling them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Yeah, Jesus did die and he did resurrect, but to really be saved, you need to be circumcised. Modern day translation, hey, I'm glad that you believe in Jesus. I do too. I think that's great. But if you really want to be saved, you have to get baptized in the Mormon church. You have to get baptized as a Jehovah witness. You have to go to the Catholic church down the street. That's the only way you can be saved. That's an instead of Jesus gospel. Does that, is that clear? Does that make sense to you? I'm not being mean. Right? These are God's words. We blame the Apostle John. (laughs) Because there is a truth. And there is deception. There is antichrist propaganda. And the whole purpose is not just to trick people and go, gotcha. The whole purpose is to what? To destroy people for eternity it's a matter of life and death it does matter it's very serious and John says if what you heard from the beginning abides in you meaning if Jesus a relationship with him his word abides in you you will also abide in the son and in the father and then verse 25 and this is the promise that he has promised us what is the promise oh it's eternal life eternal life It's amazing to think that when God created man in his own image, he made us to be eternal beings. But there are only two places we can spend eternity there's heaven and there's hell. And we will spend eternity in one of them. And yet, for the believer, for the man or woman or child who abides in a relationship with Jesus through his word, not just knowing the scriptures, but actually putting it into action. Being in a relationship with Jesus is not passive. And here's what passive looks like. Simply going to church and then going about your week like nothing has transformed you. Active means listening, obeying, and putting into practice. We can know that we know Jesus when we walk in obedience to his word. And the result that we can be assured of, that we have a guarantee, is eternal life. Then John brings us in verse 27. He says, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's anointing is his equipping to shepherd us in all truth of God's word. God's anointing is his equipping to shepherd us in all truth of God's word. John brings us back to that anointing. The spirit is given for the purpose of leading us into God's word so that we can discern all truth from lies. And God has equipped us for everything that we need. Here's what I love about what John is saying. The Holy Spirit leads us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Not nebulously. Not immeasurably. But through the truth of reading his word. When you are constantly saturated. With the Old and New Testament. It's the character of Christ that begins to clothe you. Not because you have to but because your life is being transformed. John says that you don't even need a teacher. Have a great Sunday, everybody. I hope you enjoyed your time. Is that what John's saying? No, but listen to what he is saying because this is important. Like I said earlier, you don't need a man to teach you the truth because what do you have? You have God's word. You already have the truth. Now, we also know in the scripture that some of the giftings that God gives is to teachers so that you can better understand God's word. But you don't understand God's word, the truth of the gospel because of me. You understand the truth of the gospel because of who? God's spirit leading you to understand that that is true. The teacher is there to help you better understand. But you don't need to come to me or Pastor Dave or, like we said earlier, a pope or somebody else to be saved, to understand truth. You already have it sitting in your laps, open to you at any time you want it. Now John is going to shift. He uses this term of endearment again in verse 28. And he says, and now little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Have you ever thought of what you might be doing when Jesus takes the church when he returns? I know this for myself. I hope I'm not watching Netflix. (laughs) Not even because I'd be watching something bad. But I don't want to be watching Netflix when Jesus comes back. Seriously. I don't want to be feeding my own flesh. I don't want to be yelling at my wife or speaking ill to my children when Jesus comes back. What do I want to be doing? Oh, I want to embrace the call of God upon my life so that when he returns I go, "Ho oh, ho! Yeah! Ho or something like that. Not everybody's just animated. It won't be like that for everybody including those who are followers of Jesus. Think of Adam and Eve. Every day, what did God come and do with Adam and Eve? He walked with them. And when they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to, what was their response? They hid. And when God comes in the garden, he has to ask the question, Adam, where are you? And Adam goes, sorry, I was afraid and ashamed, and so I hid myself. Oh, I don't want that to be me when Christ returns. What will we be doing when that time comes? And listen, church, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about like, there I am with my inductive Bible study, the life of Moses, and God comes back. And you're like, oh, hey, God, look it. (laughs) You don't get holy points for that. But listen, our men's ministry has a men's ministry manifesto for a reason. It's embrace the call of God upon your life. Be builders of other men and glorify Jesus in all of our actions. And I know this, it's more than just words on the back of a binder. If that gets put into practice, when Christ returns, if you're doing those things, what are you going to have that verse 28 tells us when Christ returns? What's it say? That we may have confidence, confidence, excitement, joy. That when that time comes, we're like, oh, yes, thank you. I am so excited. I've been waiting for this. Remember my kids in the window? Man, I want that to be me. And antichrist propaganda, the instead of Jesus messages, no matter how subtle they are, simply want to take us away from that kind of life. And the beauty of how we live that life can be as a single or a married person. It can be as a parent or someone who has no kids. It can be in your workplace. It can be as you're at the beach. You can abide in Christ wherever you go, but it requires a relationship with Jesus in which you are intentional about what you're doing and how you're doing it. So that whenever Christ returns, oh, we can have joy. We can have confidence. Verse 29 if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. I love the imagery that John provides here. Well, how do I know if I really know Jesus or how do I know if someone else really knows Jesus? As a parent, how can I tell if my kid's saved or not? Um, how can you tell that your kid is your kid? Seriously, how? <laughs> they Their DNA, I tested it. <laughs> Just kidding, not my wife and I. Um, They look like you. They have your features, or your smile, or your demeanor, or sometimes even your own sinful behaviors. Anybody look at your spouse, and you're like, that's you. (laughs) You deal with that one. Our children are made in our likeness. And when we are righteous as he is righteous, what do we look like? Oh, we look like Jesus. We have his features. And his characteristics. And now John is going to lead us into something that is so important for us to understand. We've got three verses to go. You still with me? All right. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, or look carefully, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Friends, the Father's love secures our heavenly citizenship. The Father's love secures our heavenly citizenship. I actually looked up what it takes to become a citizen, and I do understand that there are different ways, but in general, you guys want to hear some of these? You have to be 18 years of age. Thank goodness God's kingdom runs differently. You have to be a lawful permanent resident for the past three to five years. That is problematic for many people. You have to be able to read, write, and speak basic English. I know English-speaking people that can't read, write, or speak basic English. Blessings on you, brother. You have to demonstrate good moral character. This is in the US citizenship application. How do we have moral character? How do we even know what it is in this country? We don't have a standard because people are deceived. Do you see the importance of having truth? Wow. You have to demonstrate a knowledge and understanding of U.S. history and government. Demonstrate a loyalty to the principles of the U.S. Constitution. (laughs) And be willing to take the oath of allegiance. That is the qualifications to become a U.S. citizen. You know what I love about becoming a citizen of heaven is it is dependent on the Father's love for us. Oh man, what that is good news. And listen to what has happened because of the Father's love. Behold what manner of love the Father has Oh, slow down. Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed on us that we should be called what? Children of God. Please listen. Not everyone on the planet is a child of God. We are created in the image of God, but in order to be a child of God, you must be what? You must be saved through an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ in order to be called a child of God, an eternal citizen of heaven. Yes, it matters what our relationship with Jesus is like. Therefore, John says in the second part of verse one, the world does not know us, Because it did not know him. How many of you have ever wanted to be or do something great in your life? At any time in your life? Some of you are like, no. (laughs) Mediocre. It's great. We were built for greatness. And yet sometimes it doesn't feel like we're great. But here's the beauty of what John is communicating. Oh, you are. As a stay-at-home mom. You're great when you have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. As someone with cancer, you're great when even in your suffering, you model and display the love and trust that Jesus has given to you. And we could go on and on about every position, whether it be vocationally or relationally or monetarily, it doesn't matter. But I love what John says. Look at the company he puts us in. Therefore, the world does not know us. It doesn't recognize us as anything special. Because it did not what? It did not know him. Uh, My two boys, Uriah and Ezekiel, they come with me on their own accord, 5.30 on Sunday mornings. They set up the chairs. They do all this stuff. And they want to stay through all three services until I go home later in the afternoon. That's a long day for some little guys. So it's important that I give them proper expectations. Like today, I said, you're going home with your mom after second service. Wait, did you hear me? You're going home with your mom after second service. Because when I tell them it's time to go home with mom, what do they do? Dad, we want to stay. Yeah, okay, you can't run counseling appointments. You need to go home with your mom, right? I have to set expectations for them to give them an understanding. And that understanding for us is that the world wants to define greatness in a whole different category than how Jesus looks at his children. Because you are a child of God, you have the highest calling and status in the universe. doesn't matter where you are or what you do. That's amazing truth. And when we consider this manner of love, we don't have time, but if you get an opportunity, read Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. Ephesians chapter two, one through three. This is where we were before Christ. The manner of love that God gave to us was messy. He met us in the muck, in our sin. We were children of wrath. We were following our own desires and our own flesh. We were even called sons of disobedience or sons and daughters of Satan. That's how bad it was. And the love that was bestowed on us superseded all of that through christ through the cross and through the resurrection incredible love abraham if you've been going with through genesis with us he was a pagan man nothing special god loved him and he became a child of god jacob literally means deceiver or heel grabber god got a hold of his identity and changed it to israel moses was a murderer and a failed leader and he does something extraordinary with Moses through love. Rahab, a Jericho prostitute. God's love. Ruth, a Moabite woman, not even part of the covenant people. God's love. And then insert your name and your story. That's God's love. That's the love he bestowed on you to become a what? A child of God. Someone great in his eyes. Not because of what you do, but because of what he's done. Finally, verse 2, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you're taking notes, this is your last one for the day. Our greatest joy will be to experience Jesus in all his glory. Our greatest joy will be to experience Jesus in all his glory. Here's the Antichrist propaganda. Jesus wants you to be amazing. Jesus wants you to have everything you want in life. Jesus wants you to have that job and bank account and you fill in the blank. That you've always wanted. We know that that's Antichrist propaganda because that does not display the lordship and authority of Jesus in our life, in which we are in relationship with His word and we seek His glory instead of whose glory? Our own. But the differences can be subtle because Jesus' name is still attached. This is the beauty of abiding in Jesus' words. I love that John says, hey, we don't know exactly what we're going to be like in heaven. Um, I want to know, am I going to have hair again? <laughs> How many of you have ever wondered, like, w- what's it going to be like? <laughs> Just me. <laughs> okay. I would imagine many of us. And yet here's the emphasis that John says. When he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That will be our greatest joy in life to finally experience the fullness of Christ's glory, that will bring us the most joy. And it's not just for then, it's also for now. What can bring me the most joy on this side of life? It won't be me being great. It will be watching God's glory be on display in all my faults and failures and his work being done in the lives of my kids, despite my errors as a parent, in their lives, what he does with them. Watching God's glory will be my greatest joy on this side of life and when we live in eternity with him. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, when we're in abiding relationship with Jesus, we are constantly in the word, which tells us what is true, and when we walk in truth, we do a lot less of what? Sinning. But when we sin, what do we do? We confess and repent and get right back into relationship with Jesus Christ, his word being led in all truth. Do you see how that works? This is how we purify ourselves. doesn't mean we save ourselves. That's the blood of Jesus. We covered that already. But how we purify our life is by abiding